0: We've had more mass shootings this year than ever in the history of our country, and um, enough is enough. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, reporter Danielle Battaglia interviews North Carolina Congresswoman Deborah Ross on gun control and immigration for the week of June 13, 2022.
1: For the News and Observer, I'm Danielle Battaglia, your host for this week's episode of Under the Dome. It is June 13th, and I'm here with a very special guest today, Representative Deborah Ross. How are you doing? Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be
0: with you, and I'm doing great. We did such a lot of work in Congress last week, important work, and happy to talk about it.
1: I'm very excited to talk to you about it. I know the big topic here on Capitol Hill, and we are recording on Capitol Hill, is um, gun laws, especially with everything going on in Uvalde, Texas, and uh, with the shooting in Buffalo. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about that first, because that has been the overarching theme this week, I think. Um, Can you tell me about what you guys are trying to accomplish with gun laws, and what path forward there might be to make changes there? So um, the House passed,
0: let's see, there were seven articles in the omnibus um, gun bill and then a red flag law. Um, And there was a little bit of bipartisan support. So about 10 Republicans who voted for for several of these, Uh, but they are very targeted approaches to preventing gun violence. As a matter of fact, the New York Times um, a week ago Sunday, did a front page article on four different changes to gun laws that could have prevented a series of mass shootings, so this was very targeted. Again, we did a red flag, a federal red flag law with funding for states that have red flag laws, and I know that Governor Cooper is pushing that in North Carolina. Even the U.S. Senate is talking about that. But we did a red flag law that was um, Congresswoman Lucy McBath's bill. Um, I don't. Both, uh your uh, listeners know, but her son died from gun violence um, and she has been an advocate for gun violence prevention. Um, we raised the age for getting um, certain kinds of rifles. Um, And right now you have to be 21 to purchase a pistol, but you can get these rifles at age 18. Um, I just recently read in the News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, this great op ed from a guy who teaches rifle safety to teenagers, that this is absolutely the way to go to raise the age to 21, because so many of the people who uh, commit these Gun violence acts are under the age of 21, and they use um, either an assault rifle or some kind of heavy magazine. Um, We codified, which means turned into law, the Trump regulation on bump stocks. So, you know, this was something that President Trump did on his own. Well, now, you know, if the if the Senate takes up the House bill, we will have the bump stock. We also dealt with trafficking of firearms because we have a patchwork of laws about that. North Carolina is one of the worst states in the country for gun trafficking. There was just a recent report of a guy who brought $40,000 worth of guns, including an AR-15, to Manhattan and just started selling them on the street. And he was um, he was apprehended by undercover cops. And we certainly do not want that kind of distinction in North Carolina. So clearly, I was for all all, the whole package. Um, I'm one of only um, a few members of Congress uh, in the House who got to vote on the bill in the Judiciary Committee and in the Rules Committee. And on the floor. And I really believe that these are common sense gun violence prevention, gun safety measures that are supported by the vast majority of people in the country and in North Carolina. And I have heard from Republicans in favor. And then again, this um, guy who teaches um, rifle um training to teenagers advocating for aspects of that
1: bill. I appreciate you reading this. Um, what do you think it will take to get that all the way to the president's desk? Do you think there's a path forward there? I think that there's a path
0: forward for some um, gun violence prevention bills um, in the Senate. And so I'm sure your readers and listeners know that Senator Tillis has said he want, he's part of this group. Senator Cornyn from Texas, you know, um, where Uvalde is. Um, Is part of that. I don't, you know, I've I've been around for a little while, even though I'm a freshman. So I don't think we're going to get exactly what passed the House. But um, the good news is, I think that the House package is very sound. And it is a great place to start.
1: Are you surprised at all that you got it through this quickly?
0: I am not surprised that we got it through this quickly, because of the moral imperative. I mean, we didn't just have Buffalo and Uvalde, I mean, we've had hospital shootings since then. I mean, we've had more mass shootings this year than ever in the history of our country. And um, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And I'm hearing from people all over. And I'm hearing from people who call or email and say, I am a gun owner. Please stop the madness. Um, it is, you know, this is not a partisan issue among the people.
1: Okay. And I want to talk to you about the um, draft leak from the Supreme Court on the possible overturning of v. Wade. Can you talk to me kind of about that, what your thoughts are and um, what that would mean to our country?
0: Well, I think the draft leak... Really brought home the fact that Roe versus Wade is in peril. Um, and many of the us have known that ever since um, Trump's appointees to the Supreme Court uh, took their positions, um, despite what they said during confirmation. And you know, we've heard from both Senators Collins and Murkowski that they felt deceived by these appointees on Roe versus Wade. And so I think. People have thought that we've been kind of crying wolf about the fact that Roe versus Wade might be overturned. And I think the draft opinion has brought that home and it's brought people to the streets. And I believe it will bring people to the polls. And um, the reason why it's so important to bring the people to the polls, particularly in North Carolina, is that North Carolina um, hasn't banned Abortion. Now, there have been restrictions on abortion. Um, I was in the legislature and fought against some of those. I've been an attorney and fought against some of those. Um, but North Carolina right now is a place where people can get safe, legal abortions. And we have a governor who is pro-choice. And we have a governor who right now has a legislature that can sustain his vetoes on um, abortion issues. but. All of that can change in November. So um, North Carolina could end up if the, if, the legislate, if we lose Democrats in the legislature be a state where abortion is not safe and legal anymore. And um, we could join Texas and Oklahoma and so many of these other states. And so people are really waking up to that. And we in the House, well before, This, um, this leaked draft came out, passed a law to codify Roe versus Wade. I mean, we got that done. And so, again, um, it is up to the Senate to take action. But if the Senate doesn't take action, then it's going to be up to the states. And North Carolina is really in the crosshairs. And, you know, I've, I've been on the streets, Josie and I have been on the streets um, for um, advocating on, um, you know, keeping the, the right to, a, to safe legal abortion in this country and in our state.
1: And Josie is your spokeswoman who is sitting next to me right now. Right. Josie, I'm
0: (laughs) sorry for not clarifying that. for your listeners, she wore a great RBG uh, t-shirt and uh, lots of people took her picture.
1: (laughs) Oh, nice. Um, And then I want to talk to you. We have a special section coming out. It's one of our uh, reimagined print pieces that's coming out this Wednesday on documented dreamers and DACA recipients. And I want to talk to you a little bit. I know you've done some work on that. Um, Just get your take on that too.
0: Yes. Um, and I was working on um, dreamers issues even when I was in the legislature. These issues came up then. I mean, there were questions about in-state tuition for, um, you know, for people who were undocumented that came up. And, of course, that was not resolved in their favor. So I've been advocating for the dreamers for decades. Um what we have realized um, and the, you know, the dreamers have DACA that is protecting them now. And I know the regulations are being revisited. What I have found out um, really in the last few years is we also have a, a category of dreamers called documented dreamers. And these are children who came with their parents all legally on work visas or education visas, and who, because of our backlog in our immigration system, um, basically age out of their visa and are left with mo- no choice but to self-deport at the age of 21. And because um, the Research Triangle area has so many people who come for education and work on visas, a lot of them from India, some of them from Asian countries, other Asian countries. Um, We have a lot of these dreamers. There's more than 200,000 of them in uh, the United States. And so I have been um, a champion of including them along with the dreamers who we've all been advocating for for decades, because just like the, the dreamers who didn't come here with, uh, with documentation, they haven't known any other country and they want to be here. They are proud of the United States of America. We've educated them. And this is a young cohort of people who we need during our labor shortages. We need their creativity. We need their energy. And, um, They've been some of the most inspiring constituents um, to advocate for. And uh, for your listeners, um, the the House passed the American Dream and Promise Act, um, which granted protection for all DREAMers, both the DACA recipients and the documented DREAMers, and helped um, people with temporary protected status who are right now, a lot of them are Ukrainians and Haitians. Um, So that went to the Senate. Um, it, the Senate has not taken that up. But again, I think that the Senate is um, getting more of an appetite, particularly for the young people, particularly for the dreamers. Um, I'm, I'm the sponsor of a bipartisan, bicameral bill to help the documented dreamers because they didn't have their own um, bill. And um, it's been great working across party lines on this. Um, and they've been unbelievable advocates for themselves. So so inspiring.
1: And tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing for North Carolinians. I know you're doing a lot back home and here in um, in the capital. I can't speak all of a sudden. Um, tell me a bit, little bit about the work. I didn't even tell you. I completely geek out on judicial ethics issues. So yes. um, I know that's one of your hot topics, but tell me, yes, so that. I
0: serve on the Judiciary Committee as I did the entire time I was in the State House. Um, I even chaired Judiciary for four years when I was in the State House. And um judges, federal judges are not subject to the same were not subject to the same um, disclosures about their stock holdings and their holdings as members of Congress. They didn't have to do real-time disclosures for sales, and um, they didn't have a searchable database. And The Wall Street Journal did fabulous investigative reporting and um, found that more than 150 judges were federal judges, were presiding over cases in which they, where they or their immediate family members owned stock in one of the litigants, um, you know, companies or something like that. And then in about 60 of the cases, actively traded the stock while they were presiding over the case didn't have to report those active trades at that time. And um, the Wall Street Journal did a great job of exposing this, um I introduced a bill. My main co-sponsor was um, Representative Isa, a Republican from California. We got the bill through the House. Only four people voted against it. The Senate got a very similar bill through the Senate. They had a couple of changes, including one change that was really good to include more categories of federal judges. They sent it back and we didn't even have to take a vote on it. In the House, it passed by what's called unanimous consent. So we didn't even have to vote on the, the final bill that came through. The president signed it into law about a month ago. And, um, it really, it solved a real problem. And then, you know, afterwards, you pick up the paper and in the Wall Street Journal and you're reading that all of a sudden a judge has decided to not preside over a big case anymore because voila, they were paying attention to what, you know, they owned and how that that could affect um, their impartiality. So I think it's very, very important. There's more we need to do, um, both on congressional ethics and judicial ethics. Um, I worked on those issues a lot when I was in the General Assembly, including the comprehensive ethics reform that we did after um, Speaker Black's troubles. And so um, this is an issue I've worked on consistently and really, really happy to have this new law that will um, provide more justice and transparency in the federal courts.
1: We love transparency in the media. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, I, I also want your um, listeners to know that, yeah, we do all these great things in Washington and we're working on these things that they care about. But I have seven people who work in um, my district office in Raleigh, four of whom just help people all day, every day day, and they help small businesses, they help veterans, they get help people with their passports, um, they do social security. We have done mobile office hours um, in different parts of Wake County so that if people don't want to come downtown, they can go up Capitol Boulevard, or we've been in Nightdale, and we're going to do one in um, Western Wake County, um, probably in the fall because the summertime Fewer people are going out and about. Um, So we are very, very constituent oriented. We want to help people. We want to make the federal government work for the people. And then we do fun things for our constituents. Just yesterday, I called, um, a, a high school graduate who got into the Air Force Academy. Oh. And we recommended him for that. I have a panel of, um, military folks who do all the interviews. There's, this is, this is a meritocracy to get into these academies. And they make the recommendations to me for who we should, um, recommend to the academies and it's great to be able to send amazing young people from the district. And we had a congressional art competition, and, and um, yeah, and and it was just so wonderful to see these young people and their families come out such a diverse
1: array of art and talent. They have so much talent. I could draw you a stick figure, and they were like doing amazing work. And, right. And they're in high school. Yeah. and um,
0: and it's also um, what they draw is, or paint is from the heart. I mean, it's a real experience that they're having. The one that we had last year was called COVID Inside Out. And it was a young woman who she and her family got COVID. and um, But she turned her art into kind of like, it was like a coat of many colors that was her inside um you know reaction to covid and just unbelievable the creativity and that that's just so inspiring and my staff loves to connect to the people of the district and serve the people of the district and i'm just so proud of the work that they're doing
1: well and i didn't set you up for we usually do headline of the week where we ask what your favorite headline of the week is which if you have one feel free to offer it but instead i was going to ask you if you have a favorite place or thing in the capitol or and and or in your district
0: um well in the capitol my favorite place is the lindy boggs room and so um when there weren't very many women who served in congress It is a special room, um, in Statuary Hall where, um, there are, first of all, it was the only place where there were women's bathrooms up until like 2010, by the way. Um, and, um, there's like a place where you can get tea and put your feet up and, you know, you're close to the floor so you can go and vote. And so, uh, in between votes, I go to lots of places. I go to the speaker's lounge. Sometimes I go to the cloakroom. Sometimes I just look for people on the floor. But um, on those long nights when we're voting, 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 and um, I use tea as my way of staying awake, I, I'm very grateful to Lindy Boggs for insisting that there be a place where um, female uh, members of Congress could go to the ladies' room and get a cup of tea.
1: I did not know about that. Oh,
0: yeah. Sometime I'll point it out to you.
1: Nice. I appreciate that. Yeah.
0: And then in the district, um, I live in Boylan Heights. Okay. I love my neighborhood. Um, I really like to go to the dairy and to black and white coffee. That's one of my favorite places to meet people. And um, But I also, since um, I've now kind of represented all of Wake County, in each of the towns that um, I go to, I always have a special spot that I like. So sometime when we have more time, we can go through every town in Wake County and I can (laughs) tell you my favorite coffee spot or lunch spot or, you know, whatever. So I feel um, like that's
1: a great upcoming newsletter we're gonna have to do on you. Yes, yes.
0: But but the good good thing about me is I'm always willing to
1: um, stop
0: and go into a local business and say hello and um, get a get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and um, just you know relax a little bit
1: that sounds great and I appreciate you sitting down with us and giving me a chance to relax today (laughs) and and talking with me Um, so thank you for being here and uh, for the news and observer I'm Danielle Battaglia thanks for listening
0: for more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.